Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. But I'm excited to get into the word here this morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, number four. I, I have a message that I, I feel like has been in my spirit now for a few months. And, and I feel like it's a message that each and every one of us need to hear at some point in our life. Maybe you're going through a season where this is going to resonate with you. Maybe you're not going through that season, but one day you will go through this season. And I pray that if you're not in that moment that you hang on to this word because one day you will need this. But I want to preach to you this message from this subject, this title, persecuted, but not abandoned. Second Corinthians chapter number four, starting in verse number seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So there's a treasure on the inside of us in jars of clay. That's me and you. That's our body. That's our spirit. That's us. And there's this power that lives on the inside of us that it doesn't come from us. When people see good things in your life, know this, that it's not because of who you are. It's because of who he is. And Paul is saying, hey, there's a treasure that's on the inside and it's not from you. It's from God. And then he says in verse eight, we're hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Everybody say it, persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Jesus, in your name, we are so thankful. God, we're so grateful to be in your house, to be with your people. There is nothing like being in the house of God, a house of joy, a house of peace, a house of love. And God, I thank you for your hand that is on this house in particular. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this city, through this church, through these people, God. And I just pray right now that through this message that you would begin to open up our hearts and open up our minds and open up our spirits for what you want us to receive. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Anybody ever felt persecuted in the house? Anybody ever, ever been persecuted? Anybody ever faced persecution? There was a time in my, my life where, where I faced some persecution and I was, I was about 18 years old and, and uh, you know, at the time back then, we, we didn't really have texting and, and, and chatting online. I know you're like, you're not that old, but I, in fact, remember the first text message that I ever sent and I sent it to my then girlfriend, whoo, of like 12 years, the dating process was 12 years. Sometimes God takes a long time to do what he wants to do in your life. Amen, come on somebody. And anyways, I remember sending my first text message. I, I figured out what a text message was. I had a Nokia phone and, and I, I don't know how I found texting, but I did. And so I sent a text to my girlfriend and I said, hi. She said, what is this? And I knew we were so in love. <laughs> I remember sending text messages for the first time, you know, so we didn't get to hang out and chat online. We actually would actually hang out in person. It, it's a strange concept. It's a really weird idea. I, I, I speak to the next generation a lot and it's so crazy. I'm like, somebody's 18 years old and I'm like, do you have a driver's license yet? And they're like, no. I'm like, what do you, what do you do? 
uh, you know, hang out. And I'm like, what? I, when I was 16 years old, I had a car. I was running the roads. I was hanging out. We'd meet up at Taco Bell at, you know, midnight. The grill stays open late. Like we were out having a good time. We would actually have to talk to each other in person. It was a really strange concept. But I remember one time in particular, I was driving home from hanging out at Taco Bell at probably one or two in the morning. And I was going 40 in a 30. I'll never forget hearing the sound of the police car and seeing the lights and he pulled me over and he gave me a ticket for going, I'm sure it was nine and a half miles an hour over the speed limit. And as a innocent 18 year old, I was given a ticket for the first time in my life. And, and knowing me and knowing my personality, I, I enjoy hanging out. And so I couldn't risk that. And I knew if I told my parents about the ticket that I had just received, I would not be hanging out anymore. So I did what any normal teenager would do. I just figured if I didn't do anything about it, it would go away. This ticket did not go away. I see some people laughing in the house already. Like, I appreciate you already know where this story's going. But I, I didn't tell my parents about the ticket. And then one day, my mom, my amazing mom who's in the house, I give her honor and respect here today. Um, she receives a letter from the Pearland Police Department and says that there is a warrant for your son's arrest. Now, let's, we're talking about persecution here, and, and that's where we kind of jump into the story. And so one Saturday morning at 5 a.m., I awake to a knock at the door, and, and I, I get up, and I'm just in my shorts. I've been sleeping, and I go to the door and open the door, not to my house, the door to my bedroom, and there is a police officer standing at the door of my bedroom, fully suited and booted. I mean, there is the gun, there's the handcuffs. I'm trying to gather myself. I'm looking at, I don't even know what's going on, and I know there's a lot of things I've done wrong. I'm just not sure why he's here, and <laughs> he said, son, were you speeding on the night of so-and-so, and I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, you didn't take care of the ticket. He said, because you didn't take care of the ticket, you're going to have to go to jail. I turn and look at my mom. She's in a robe. It's five in the morning and, and she is weeping. She is crying. She is concerned. And I, I don't know what's happening right now. I'm like, can we, can we give him some money? Like, do I have to go to jail? I don't have a shirt. He's like, turn around. We're going to handcuff you. And I'm real confused because I I don't have a shirt on, I don't have socks and shoes on, and I'm like, are you taking me to jail just like this? This doesn't make sense, like, I, can I put on a shirt, is that okay? And he handcuffs me, and again, I look over at my mom, and she's crying, her, her baby boy is a felon, he's going to prison, like she, where did she go wrong? She had raised such an amazing son, and now this, and I, I, I'm sad, I don't know what to do, you know, and he, he starts to tell me how I should have taken care of the ticket, and Yes, sir. I mean, what am I going to say back? Like, I, yes, I understand. And I'm so sorry. I was going nine miles an hour over the speed limit. Hey, you should go the speed limit. Okay. That's not the point here, but I was going over the speed limit. I, I should have taken care of the ticket. And so then he says, okay, for about five, 10 minutes of talking to me, he says, all right, turn around. I turn around and then I'm real confused. He uncuffs me and then he looks at me and he says, okay, you're not going to jail. Your mom just wanted to teach you a lesson. Anybody ever been persecuted in the house? I look over at my mom, I'm like, mom, what? Why are you crying? Here's what I'd like to know. I don't even care about the police officer anymore. Why are you crying? You knew this was a sham? You knew this was a joke? This is theatrics? 
Looked like real tears. I give honor to my mom in the house, but sometimes we face persecution from people we didn't. My own mom tried to have me incarcerated, amen. Hey, I'm thankful for parents that care about us. They'll do whatever it takes to teach us the right things. They may even have us put in prison. Many times in life we face persecution, and if you are a Christian here today, you you're going to face persecution. If you are a believer in Jesus, there's going to be moments in your life where you go through moments of persecution. I, I realize that in the world that we live here today, that Christians more and more are being criticized. They're facing persecution. And I know this because on social media, just the other day, I was bragging about my 2017 Houston Astros World Series champions. And a, and a Yankees fan came on my social media page and they didn't attack me necessarily about the Astros. They started, started talking about me being a pastor. They're like, I, of course, you're a pastor. You know, you, you believe in this imaginary God and the cheating Astros. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's no reason to get personal. First of all, I wasn't the one doing the cheating. I just happened to enjoy the World Series when they were, they weren't cheating. Come on. And this Yankees fan, he, he, he starts to leave the Astros and he starts to kind of criticize me um, as a pastor. And so, you know, at some point, you know, we're all human. Sometimes we like to respond to the trolls. Not, not always, but this time I'll just be honest with you. I did. And he, he asked me this question after a few, uh, interactions. He, he said, I bet you think that I'm going to hell because I'm an atheist. And I said, I don't think you're going to hell because you're an atheist. I think you're going to hell because you're a Yankees fan. You know, sometimes persecution finds us and sometimes we have a way of finding our own persecution. Sometimes we bring the persecution on ourselves and, and many times persecution finds us in the middle of doing all of the right things. I've got some really bad news for you up front and I've got some good news coming later, but, but the bad news is if you are a believer if you are a follower of Jesus, there are going to be moments and there are going to be seasons of your life when you face persecution. And here's what persecution is. It's just hostility and ill treatment. And, and the world, or, or Jesus talks about this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He, he says, you're going to face trouble. This is the bad news. You're, you're, you're going to face heartache. You're going to face trials. You're going to face persecution. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter number four. He says, we're hard pressed. There's pressure on us. Anybody feeling pressure in the world here today? He says, we're perplexed. In other words, we're confused. We don't always know how to respond with everything that's going on in the world. He says, we are persecuted. We're struck down. And, and here's what happens when we begin to see what's going wrong in the world, what's going wrong in our lives. Here's what the enemy of our soul, he tries to do. He tries to convince us and deceive us and lie to us. And he does this by using half truths. So Benjamin Franklin said a half-truth is often a great lie. And he, he loves to point out where we fall short. He, he loves to point out what's wrong. He loves to point out the negative. He, he wants us to focus on the fact that we have trouble in the world. He wants us to focus on inflation. He, he wants us to focus on wars and rumors of wars. He, he wants us to focus on what's wrong in the world. He wants us to focus on the adversity and the trouble and the trials. Can I just say here 
this morning that everyone at some point in their life is going to face persecution, you're going to face trials, you're going to face adversity. Everyone faces adversity at some point in your life. And here's what I wanna say to you here this morning. If you're struggling, I say congratulations. If you're fighting, if you're going through a struggle, if you're going through a battle, man, I am so happy for you. And here's why, because struggle is the proof that you are moving. Struggle is the proof that you are still fighting. It's the proof that you're still alive. If you're facing adversity, if you're facing problems, if you're facing issues, congratulations, you are alive. And if there is life inside of you, then there is life ahead of you. I wanna say here today, if you're in the middle of a struggle, if you're in the middle of a battle, there's life ahead, there's hope ahead. There's joy ahead. I can't tell you how many moments were, that were so amazing in my life that were on the other side of pain. Can I tell you, scars have stories. My good friend Andrew Ritchie is in the house here today and he used to take us on the lake and on the boat all the time and I'll never forget one time we were on Lake Livingston and we had two tubes and, and we were being crazy teenagers and we were trying to jump from tube to tube and knock people off the tube and I'll never forget, I jumped one time to the other tube and we were coming around the corner and that rope wrapped around my leg. And when the boat took off, that rope uncoiled and it took about a half inch off my knee. It, it, it was a scar, it was something nasty. Like it, it, it was something that when I look back on it, man, I realized that that scar is a story. You see, every scar is proof that you're still alive. Every scar is proof that you're still here. You see, I didn't die that day, but that scar on my leg reminds me of what I've been through. Man, adversity is proof that you're still standing. In the world today, everybody wants to win, but nobody wants to fight. Can you imagine basketball with no defense? Some of y'all are like, that's how you play basketball. But can you imagine an actual game of basketball with no defense? Can you imagine a sporting event with no adversary? You see, it's the enemy on the outside that reveals the champion on the inside. The only way that you can get the victory is because there is an adversary. The only way to win is through adversity. The only way that you overcome is because there is a struggle. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, he accuses us day and night before God and we overcome this opponent. We overcome this adversary. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Can I tell you here today, there is no testimony without a test. There is no victory without a trial. There is no winning without an opponent. And the temptation of our time right now is that we either quit the fight or we fight the wrong battles. Some of you are not seeing progress and growth in your life, it's because we're fighting the wrong battles. And I think when we begin to realize what's wrong and that there's trouble and there's adversity and there's problems, I, I think some of us need, just, need to just come to this moment where we tell the enemy, like, I get it. Like, I understand. Like there's things that are going on in the world that I don't like, things are bad. You're not telling me anything I don't know, but, but Jesus even himself told me that there's going to be trouble. So when you begin to remind me of what's wrong and there's problems and there's issues and, and the world is not a great place right now, you're, you're actually repeating the words of Jesus. He said, if you are a believer, if you're a follower of me, you're going to face trouble, you're going to face problems. But if you stop there, you're leaving out the best part. 
If you stop there, you're leaving out a key detail. Jesus said you will have trouble, but here is the good news. Take heart, have peace, take heart because I've already overcome the world. Like some of us need to get over the fact that there are problems in the world. Some of us need to get over the fact that there are issues and and things going on. Jesus himself said, you're going to have trouble. Like that is not the problem, but you've got to take heart. Like I already know that I'm hard pressed on every side. I, I already know that I'm confused. I already know that I'm persecuted. I know I've been knocked down, but if you stop there, you're missing a key detail. You're missing a key portion of the picture. And this is the point that on the inside of me, there is a treasure. The point is I have a treasure in this earthen vessel, in my human body and in my spirit and it shows people that who I am is not because of what I've done it's because of who he is you see the gospel isn't about ignoring the facts or ignoring the truth the gospel is about truth and grace walking side by side see truth shows us who we are but grace shows us who Jesus is Truth will show us where we are, but grace will show us that we don't have to stay there. Truth says that at some point in your life, you have to acknowledge that you might not be where you want to be, but grace says you are headed in the right direction. Truth says you might have some things that you have to work on, but grace says you're more than a conqueror. That's the gospel. That's truth and grace walking side by side. You see, these two words are, are seemingly very far apart. You ever met any, any truth people? All they do is tell you the truth. And, and they often started out with, I'm just being realistic, followed up by the meanest thing that you have ever heard. Or then you've been around the grace people where there's nothing wrong in the world and everything is okay. You see, these ideas are very far apart, but that's what the gospel is. It's truth and it's grace walking side by side. You see, truth shows us our sin, but grace shows us a way out. You see, truth by itself is not enough. Grace by itself is not enough. We need truth and grace walking side by side. Truth says, hey, it's true. I'm under pressure in the world to perform and to prove there's pressure in my life. I'm hard pressed on every side, but grace says I will not be crushed. Truth says I'm perplexed, I'm confused, but grace says I won't despair. Truth says the world is not for the church. They are not looking out for us. They do not have our back, but the grace of God says there is love, there is joy, and there is peace in the house of God. Truth says that we're persecuted, but grace says we'll never be abandoned. Truth says you might get knocked down. That's the reality of life. But grace says you will not be destroyed. If you're here today, this morning, man, I just want to say congratulations. Like you've made it. You've made it to this point. At some point along the way, if the enemy could have taken you out, he already would have. The things that you've been through have led you to this moment and it's not a moment of despair. It's not a moment where you're going to be destroyed in this moment. If God has led you to this place, he's gonna see you through it. Truth says you've been through some stuff. Grace says God has prepared something better ahead of you. My youngest son, Houston, he's here in the house and I'm afraid to say his name because he may start running the aisles, but Houston loves to say this to his dad. 
I'll tell him something, he'll ask me a question and I'll give him the answer and he loves to say, I already know that, dad. I'm like, that was a complicated math problem. You do not know that answer. That's what some of us need to do to the enemy. Like, you know what's wrong? You know what's going on in the world today? Do you see what's happening? You see what's happening in our schools? You see what's happening in our government? You see what's happening in the world today? Like, do you see what's going on? Just pull a Houston and say, hey, I already know. Like, I already see it. It's not something I don't know. In fact, Jesus already warned me. He already told me, like, there's gonna be problems. There's gonna be mess. There's gonna be persecution. There's gonna be trials. But guess what? I'm taking heart. Why? Because Jesus has already overcome the world. I don't know what you're facing, and I'm not here to minimize what you're going through. What I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Jesus has already overcome the world. Like, it came with a warning, but it also came with encouragement. That's truth. And grace, Jesus came to correct us, but he also gave us the strength and the power to walk in that correction. You ever hear somebody like tell a story and, and you were with them and you were together and, and somebody ask about the story and you both wanna tell the story, but you say, okay, you're gonna, I'll let you tell the story. You tell the story, that's okay, you tell it. And they start telling the story and they're leaving out the best part and you're just sitting there like, mm, no, this is, not the, this is not the way the story went. This is not it. Finally, you jump in. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna tell the story. You, you stop. I'm gonna tell the story because you're leaving out the best part. If you read the Bible and all you see is the negative and all you see is what's bad and all you see is what's coming is, is, is wrong and bad in the world, can I tell you here today, you're, you're leaving out the best part. You're leaving out the key details. Jesus came to remind us that yes, there's going to be trouble. Yes, there's going to be trials, but Jesus has already overcome this is the best part this is the punchline John chapter 1 verse 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made he says in him was life and that life was the light of man and the light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it and it skips down to verse 14 and it says, and that word that was in the beginning that was with God and that was God, see the spoken word of God was put into action. It was put into flesh. In verse 14 it says, and that word became flesh and it dwelt among us and it was full of grace and truth. You see the scripture and, and what John was trying to say in John chapter number one John was trying to get us to understand this idea that Jesus came to this earth and that's great, but don't miss the big detail, don't miss the best part that he was a man, but he was God also. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says, he, he was God manifest in the flesh, he was justified in the spirit, he was seen of angels, he was preached on in the world and received up into glory. God came to earth, Jesus came to this earth, that word that was in the beginning with God and that was God, that word became flesh and it dwelt among us. Can I tell you, words are great. But words put into action are even better. The word became flesh. You see, Jesus is who God wanted us to see about his character. When Jesus came to this earth, God was saying, this is who I am. I'm revealing my character. I, I'm revealing who I really am. So when you see stories of Jesus walking this earth and showing compassion and healing and bringing grace and love, can I tell you right now, that was God showing us what he wanted us to see about him. The word, it became flesh. The only reason there is trouble in the world, <laughs> there is problems. 
We're not ignoring that fact. That is the truth. But here is the grace. The only reason that we can survive in the middle of chaos is because that word, it became flesh. The only reason that we have hope in the world today is because the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And that is more than just a cute scripture. This is who Jesus is. This is the power of Jesus. He was God and man, he was God manifest in the flesh. Can I, can I just make an example here today? If, if I was sick, don't give me a medical book. It's gonna do me no good, but get me to a doctor. Why? Because the doctor is gonna personify the principles that are on display in the medical book. If I was in trouble with the law for not paying a ticket and, and I needed help, if you just gave me a law book, that is not enough. My mom is gonna send me to prison if all I've got is a law book. But give me a lawyer. <laughs> Why? Because the lawyer is gonna personify the principles that are on display in the book. If I was, a, if I was losing my mind, and I might be because I got three wild, crazy boys, but if I was losing my mind, don't give me a book on psychology. <laughs> give me a psychologist. Why? Because the psychologist is gonna personify the principles that are on display in the psychology book. Let, let me make this make sense. I, I hope you get what I'm trying to tell you here this morning. When we were stuck in our sin and we had no hope for redemption, we had no hope for the future, we needed more than just the law. We needed more than just words. We needed more than just the, the Bible. We needed the truth of God, but we needed the grace of God because even Jesus knew himself that he could not redeem us from heaven, but he had to come to earth and he had to feel Feel what we feel. We needed more than just the scripture. We needed more than just the word of God. We needed that word made flesh. Why? Because Jesus personified the principles that were on display in the word of God. Jesus knew that he couldn't redeem us from heaven. He had to come feel what we feel. And that word that was full of grace and truth that was God and man at the same time, it came to feel what we feel. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Can I tell you today in the middle of your worst day, in the middle of your biggest loss, in the middle of your greatest hurt, you don't just need a book, you need the person of Jesus. In, in the middle of your worst day, in the middle of your biggest trial, in the middle of your greatest struggle, Jesus wanted you to know that in the middle of that horrible moment, Jesus wanted you to know that he feels what you felt. That pressure, that confusion, that persecution, that being knocked down, Jesus came for one reason, because he wanted to feel what it felt like. You see, he, he wanted to know what it feels like to be persecuted. He wanted to feel like what it feels like to face pressure all around you. He wanted to feel like, he, he wanted to know the pain that we would go through of losing a loved one. He, he wanted to go through the struggle and the trial and the persecution. He, he wanted to go through the pain of even leaving earth before it was his time. 
I believe Jesus had pain in his heart, not just to save the world, but because he was leaving his family. As Jesus came on this mission to feel what we feel and to go through what we go through, it, it led him to this final moment. It, it led him to this place after 33 years and in, in this final place, this final word in action. <laughs> it led him to the cross and, and as he is dying on the cross, fulfilling the mission that he was born for, walking in purpose, doing exactly what he is supposed to do. It leads him to this moment. And, and as he's hanging on the cross, he, he asks this question. He says, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? In other words, why have you abandoned me? In the middle of the worst persecution of his life, Jesus felt abandoned. As Jesus was dying on the cross, he, he dealt with the worst feeling that any human could ever experience, and it's not death. It's going through life alone. You see, nobody could walk with Jesus through this persecution. This final moment of persecution up until that point, he had disciples with him, he had family with him, but as he's hanging on the cross, it's this final moment where he has to truly feel what it feels like to be a human. He has to go through the worst experience of life and it's not dying. It's going to death alone. Jesus, the son of the living God, hanging on the cross, saving the world, dying for our sin and our mess and our pain. He felt what most people fear the most. It's being abandoned. You see, persecutions and trials and struggles often make us feel like nobody is with us and nobody sees us. It's, it's not the trial that's the problem. It's not the persecution that's the problem. It's when we lay our head down at night and we feel like we're going through that trial alone. See, it's not the divorce that, that's the problem. It's walking through that divorce feeling like nobody sees the pain and nobody knows and nobody understands. It's, it's not necessarily the pain of losing that loved one. It's realizing that you're now alone and you're walking through this battle and this struggle by yourself. It's the realization that I'm actually gonna have to walk through the trouble. You see, this, this morning, I, I can handle the persecution and I can handle the pain and I can handle the disappointment and the trial and the heartache, but I cannot handle it alone. Jesus, the son of the living God, he's hanging on the cross and he had to feel what we feel. He's, he's God and man. He's full of grace and truth. He, he came to show us the way, but in that moment, he had to truly be abandoned. He had to walk through this thing alone. And I don't really understand the question. Abba, Father, why, why did you forsake me? Why did you abandon me? Like it, it doesn't make sense to me because Jesus has already said, hey, you destroy this temple and in three days I'm gonna raise it up again. He, I think he knew how this was gonna play out. He, he knew how this was gonna happen. But I think there was a moment in the humanity side of Jesus that he thought, you know what, I know I'm gonna have to go through this, but I won't, I won't have to do it alone. Like I know I'm gonna have to go through this trial. I know I'm gonna have to go through this pain, but I, 
I'm not going to do it alone. Like, like God's going to be with me. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it through. And I think in those final moments, the Spirit of God had to remove himself from Jesus and say, okay, you're fully alone. Jesus, full of grace and truth, God and man, in that moment, had to know what it feels like to walk through the biggest trial of your life alone. Trials, persecutions, and struggles, and heartache, these things always reveal who is with us. And the greatest struggle of life is when you find out the people that you thought were there are not. The greatest struggle of your life is when you thought the people who were always gonna be a part of your life at Thanksgiving are no longer at the table. See, it's not the trial. It's not the persecution. It's feeling like you've been abandoned. I'd say about five years ago, me and my wife were on staff at this incredible, amazing church, and I'm forever grateful for the opportunity that we had to serve in this house. It gave me life, and I'll never forget we had someone come, Pastor Jim had uh, a woman come talk to us about mental and spiritual and emotional health and kind of walk through what that should look like. And he offered us a, a free session with this woman if, if we so desired. And me and my wife, we had never been to therapy. I, I know that you're shocked by that, but we had never been to therapy and didn't know we may need it. We said, hey, we'll do one. We can do one. We went to one and, and both of us just cried our eyes out just sitting there like, okay, maybe we should go to a few more. I'll never forget this woman. She asked us this question. She said, um, she said, how do you guys handle conflict? How do y'all, how do y'all fight? And we're like, <laughs> we're pastors. We don't, we don't fight at all. We don't know how to answer. Should we be honest? Should we not be honest? Like, what do we? And we kind of started to work through it. And finally I was like, you know, what? I, I, I have to say something said, you know, the only thing about conflict with us is I, I get so upset sometimes. We'll be in the middle of a conflict. We'll finally get to the place where we're going to work this out. Like we have said the thing that has set off the argument and now let's go. I mean, we're going to work through it, not argue. We're just working through it. And my wife would do something. She would finally get me to the place where like, okay, let's deal with this. And she would leave the house. And I would be left standing there with all the emotion and like all, all the different things pent up inside of me. And I told this lady, I said, I get so upset. I don't know why. So when she leaves the house, I get, I get so angry. Like I, I, I'm not a person with a temper, but I get upset. And she's like, oh, she said it so matter of factly. She said, well, that's just because you haven't dealt with your abandonment issues. I said, excuse me? I said, excuse me, as tears started to roll down my face, I said, I, I don't even know what abandonment issues are. She said, well, what you don't realize is that when your dad died when you were 20 years old, you got the same feeling that someone else gets when somebody willfully leaves them. And for 10 years of your life, you've, you've ignored the fact that you feel abandoned. You, you, you've ignored the fact that you feel alone, that nobody's with you, and it's... It's not just the fact that your dad died, it's that you feel alone. At that moment, I'm bawling my eyes out. I look over, my wife is not crying, the therapist is not crying. It's real awkward because I can't stop crying. 
And she turns to Annie and she says, so just know this, when you leave in the middle of conflict and you leave in the middle of this, it's, it's not wrong that you leave, but just know that you're triggering in him the feeling that he felt when his dad died. You're, you're triggering in him that feeling that he's been abandoned. At that moment, I was crying and my wife was crying together and it still felt like we were going through something together. I didn't realize what I was going through. I didn't realize what I was facing. I, I thought the problem was with people. I thought the problem was with the world. I, I thought the problem was, was that people didn't see the potential. They didn't see the talent. They didn't see who I am. No, the problem was that I felt abandoned. See, it wasn't the trial. It wasn't the persecution. It was that feeling of being abandoned. People with abandonment issues, and I know this because I'm speaking from a place of healing, but people with abandonment issues, it, it involves a deep fear of being hurt and rejected or abandoned. People with abandonment issues tend to push people away, remain overly guarded, avoid opening up to others while being needy and codependent. Abandonment issues can lead to volatility and aggression and inconsistent behaviors. And while that works relationally, there's something that happens in our heart and our spirit when we go through something and we feel like God has abandoned us. Let me reread that definition. People with abandonment issues with God, it involves a deep fear of being hurt and rejected by God. People with God abandonment issues tend to push God away and remain overly guarded and avoid opening up to God while others become needy and codependent. You see, one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to make you think that you are persecuted and you have been abandoned. The problem is not the persecution. The problem is not the trial. The problem is when you begin to believe that you're going through this thing alone. The problem is not the mess. It's when you begin to think, oh my goodness, I'm by myself. Nobody sees me and nobody knows. And if the enemy can get you feeling abandoned, he can do so much damage in your heart. But Jesus came in grace and in truth and he died on the cross so that you and I would know that it does not matter what the enemy throws our way. It does not matter what the world throws our way. You'll never be abandoned. <laughs> Jesus went on to say, he said, I'm never gonna forsake you. I'm, I'm never gonna leave you. Can I tell you, friends may forsake you. A spouse may leave you. A parent may disown you. A friend may betray you. Social circles may distance themselves from you. But Jesus came to this earth and he wants you to know that even in the worst moment of your life and even in the greatest struggle that you're going through that Jesus came to feel what you feel. He came to wrap his arms around you. Jesus came for one reason and one reason alone. To remind you, no matter what you're going through, you're not doing it alone. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from us. We're, we're hard pressed on every side. We're 
We face pressure, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed and confused, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And skipping to verse 14, it says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So everything that we go through, all of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though hourly we are wasting away, though hourly we have trouble, though hourly we have trials, we are not wasting away yet inwardly. On the inside we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So here's what we do. We fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. Not on the trial not on the persecution, not on the mess. Our eyes are, aren't on what's temporary. It's, it's just a temporary moment. So many times in the Bible it says, and it came to pass. Can I tell you what's going on in your life? It came to pass. It's not gonna stay with you. The thing that you're going through, it's temporary. It will not last forever. I'm even talking about a, a lethal disease, something that could kill you. It will not last forever because there is a treasure that's on the inside in this earth and vessel. <laughs> so we focus not on what we can see. We focus on what is unseen because what's seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. If you would stand all across the building. I've been preaching this message to youth camps and to different places this summer. I can't get away from preaching this message and it, it's because I come to this moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're in a season of your life where you feel abandoned, if you're in a season of your life where you remember what it feels like to be abandoned, can you just lift your hand? Nobody looking around. It's crazy to me when I preach a message about being abandoned that people walk in with smiles and everything's good. But when we get to this moment of the message, it's becomes real to us. We, we begin to realize, you know, I'm struggling. It's not the trial. It's not the mess. It's not the pain. It's that nobody's with me. I've been in full-time ministry for 10 years now, and the biggest problem when someone comes to me and they say they're leaving the team, they're leaving serving, they're leaving the church, the biggest reason why is because they don't have friends. The biggest reason is because they feel alone. And the trick of the enemy is to convince you that what you're going right, going through right now, it's, it's not temporary. It's going to last forever. He's trying to convince you that your struggle and your battle and your trial, that it's going to last forever and people don't see it and people don't know. That's two lies of the enemy. Can I tell you what you're going through will not last and you're not going through it alone? Jesus came in grace and truth. He came as, as God and man. He came to feel what we feel. And he came to hang on that cross for our sin, not just to die, 
but to know the pain of going through life alone. And when he went through that trial on the other side of it, he, it was just temporary, just a moment, three days he got up again. But after those three days, here's what he said. Hey, now I will never leave you. Now I know what it feels like to go through being abandoned. I know what it feels like to go through life alone. So here's my promise to you. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit. I'm gonna send the comforter. And now forever on, you will never have to walk through life alone. You will never have to go through it by yourself. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. If you're thankful for the power and the presence of God, can you? You just lift your voice and lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not walking through life alone. I'm not walking through this battle alone. Now, for every person that raised their hand, I want to say a specific prayer over you, Jesus, in your name right now. For every person that walked into this room giving you one last chance, that walked into this house giving church one last chance, that, that feels like nobody sees them and nobody knows them, they're feeling those abandonment issues. Jesus, can you just wrap your arms around them and say, people may forsake you, your family may abandon you, friends may turn their back on you, but you can know this, you can stand in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, knowing that he is with us every step of the way. Jesus, I thank you for your spirit that I feel right now in this place. I, I thank you that I don't focus on the temporary. I don't focus on what I can see. I focus on the unseen. I focus on what you're doing behind the scenes. I focus on the good things that you're working when I don't even know about it. You're, you're working on my behalf. You're moving on my behalf, even in ways that I cannot see it. And Jesus, you are here to remind us that no matter what we go through, we may be persecuted, but we're never abandoned. Can you just put your hands together and say, thank you, Jesus.